Hey, my name is Parker Manuel, pastor of Pinewood Church in Boulder, Colorado, where our mission is to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. Hope you enjoy today's podcast. Uh, if you're new, I'm, I'm Ron, uh, pastor of a church called Restoration, and uh, we, we love you guys and believe in everything you stand for, and just super honored to be here today. Uh, I want to begin by telling you, though, I have a nightmare. Been, it's been a recurring nightmare. And uh, that is that I, I get in front of a group like this and I preach. And then about three-fourths of the way through the message, everyone gets mad and just walks out. And they just like never come back. That, that would be like my biggest nightmare today. Like I, I'm almost at the crescendo of my message. And you just walk out, you skip the coffee, you go home, and you never, ever come back. And then Parker and Jess get mad at me and then they don't have me come back ever again. And then Pinewood dissolves and all that cool swag you guys have. You can't, it goes to Goodwill. You know, they have to start a whole new church again. Call it Prime Time, which I think that'd be the right thing to call like a new church in Boulder, like Prime Time. You think? You guys might want to think about rebranding. I don't know. I don't know. It's a good idea, actually. Right. I'm digressing, though. Um, this is exactly what happened to Jesus. He, he was doing a message, and uh, you know, at the crescendo of the message, the message, by the way, it was titled, I'm the Bread of Life. He, he was talking about spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst, and then everyone just walked out on him at the end of the message, mad, and they, they never came back. Now, it says in John 666, ironic number, uh, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Uh, my friends, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, a student, apprentice, follower, whatever you call yourself, you are in danger of this. Every single one of us is in danger of not finishing what we began with Jesus. Uh, these were disciples. Did you catch that? These are disciples, not the 12, not the three, although they thought about leaving also on this particular day. But Jesus had hundreds, perhaps thousands of disciples who said, I'm in. I'm following this guy. But on this particular day, they turned away and they never came back again. Okay? These were, these were good people. We're not talking about like people like, you know, atheist skeptics, uh, bad people like CSU fans, nothing, nothing like that. These were these were disciples. These were really good people. And they just, they just walked away. And they never followed him again. Uh, when I was in, in college, I was discipled by a man named John Brooks. And I, I was on fire, man. I, I came out of an irreligious background. Uh, the only time we used the word God in my house was, it was followed by another word. And um, I grew up without any Jesus. And so when I, when I met Jesus at a track and field camp at the age of 16, man, it completely and totally changed my life. And I was like fired up. Like, I just ate the Bible. I memorized a verse a day for like three years straight. I just was so in love with Jesus. It was so revolutionary. It completely changed my life. And, and John Brooks, the man who discipled me, he would often look at me and he goes, I've known other people who were as passionate about Jesus as you, and they no longer follow him. And over and over again, he would say to me, finish well. Finish well. Uh, Pinewood, you're like family to me. I urge you today to finish well. As I get older, and I am getting older, um, I find myself doing almost as many funerals as weddings. When I was a younger pastor, it was all weddings, ne never did a funeral, and now I'm doing almost 50-50. In fact, if you see me in a suit, which I hate wearing suits, if you see me in a suit, you're either really happy or you're really sad, okay? It's, there's no in between. Um, 
there's a verse I, I share almost every time I do a funeral. It's Ecclesiastes 7 2. It says, It's better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone, and the living should take this to heart. That the principle of the verse is that those who live the best think the most about dying. Uh, in similar fashion, those who finish well with Jesus think the most about finishing well with Jesus. If you just got baptized recently, it's not too soon to be thinking about finishing well with Jesus. I'm here today to encourage you to think about finishing well with, with Jesus. Now, um, I'm not the pastor here at this church, so chances are if you, if you pass away, say you go, and hopefully you have a long life ahead of you, but some of you guys are crazy, I know. You climb stuff and you do, you're avalanche prone, that kind of thing, so it could happen. If, if some of you pass away, say the next few months, I, I want to encourage you to make it easy for Parker or Jess to do your funeral. <laughs> All right? Because, I, again, I do a lot of funerals. There's nothing worse than going to a funeral and, and, and you know, you're celebrating the life. We don't call it funerals anymore. We call it a celebration of life. But you, you have somebody who used to walk with Jesus, but everyone there knows they stopped at some point. And so you don't talk about their faith because you just don't know what happened. That is just the worst feeling. So I'm, I'm here to bring value to you and encourage you to finish well, but please make it easy for Justin Parker to do your funeral, okay? <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, I want to talk today about three characteristics of people who finish well with Jesus. Uh, I know you guys are in a series of messages like we are at, at, um, at Restoration on on the Gospel of John. I'm going to jump ahead a chapter from where Parker was last week. I'll be in John chapter 6. I'm going to try to cover most of, of that chapter, even though I just began with the, the, finish, the finishing sermon that Jesus gave. But I'm going to share with you three characteristics for you note-takers. Gosh, you guys are note-takers. Wish you went to Restoration. No one takes notes on my messages at Restoration. Three characteristics of those who finish well. Characteristic number one, they let Jesus multiply what's in their lunchbox. They let Jesus multiply what's in their lunchbox. So in, in John 6, 1 through 15, famous story. It's in all four Gospels. Jesus is feeding the 5,000. And while he's doing it, that's before he fed the 5,000. He's preaching this message. And, and he's going kind of long, which I promised not to do today. And so people are getting hungry because he preached, like, not just a message, but like a whole series of messages, most likely. And uh, they were in a field in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it, was, it was during Passover season. People were pilgriming. They'd heard about Jesus and how he was a healer. And so they're in the middle of nowhere, like this big field, like the size of Folsom Field, but no Pearl Street where they could get food. And uh, they were starting to get up to go home to find some food. And then it says uh, that Philip, one of the disciples, said in John 6, 5, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? No grocery stores anywhere. And, and then uh, Philip said to Jesus in John 6, 7, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. And then Andrew, who is also a disciple and uh, brother of, of Peter, he said in verse six, chapter 6, verse 9, um, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And Jesus is like, oh, let's just see about that. So you a little boy, he's got a lunchbox, and when it says loaves, barley loaves, don't think like loaf. Think like a little cracker. Generally, it's like four to five inches in diameter. Little little cracker. And he's got like some sardines, little boy, little fish, little crackers. And so Jesus gives thanks for these. 
he passes them to the disciples. He goes, start passing these out. And because he's Jesus, he feeds 5,000. Hour, hour and a half later, tells the disciples, hey, go pick up the leftovers. Okay. Pretty cool, pretty cool. Lots of points we can make from the story, uh, but one of which is God loves to take what's in our lunch boxes and then multiply blessings out of it and make disciples and multiply disciples. Jesus was not in the catering business. The reason he fed the 5,000 was because he was trying to help 5,000 people become disciples of himself, members of the kingdom of God, people who would experience through him eternal life. And in that context, this little boy offers his lunchbox and God multiplies disciples through him. So have you given Jesus what's in your lunchbox? Have you? Everyone's got a lunchbox. What's in your lunchbox? Not what's in your wallet, that's the Capital One commercial. Okay. Different sermon. What's in your lunchbox? You got time, you got talent, you, all of you are so talented. You got treasure, you have money. You have your personality, you have your story, you have experiences. You, you have your jobs, you have your platforms. You, you have bodies, you have energy. I'm looking at a group of people who have so, so much in your lunchboxes to offer God. And do you know every one of you has a spiritual gift? If you're following Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you. And 1 Peter 4.10 says you have at least one spiritual gift, something that God has uniquely gifted you with to make a spiritual impact on this world. What's in your lunchbox and have you given your lunchbox to Jesus. People who finish well, they realize their lunchbox does not belong to them, and they hand it over to Jesus, and they go all in with him. I get this friend named Albert, and uh, Albert moved from the East Coast, uh, I want to say like nine months ago, and I've been discipling Albert, and uh, Albert was very, very successful. And he uh, took a while for him to realize that his lunchbox belonged to Jesus. And so I would, I would say that Albert, who's, I guess he's now in his early 50s, but somewhere in his late 30s to 40s, he realized that he needed to make a, a, a shift from success, financial success, to significance. He started thinking about his legacy and how he could make a difference in the world. He started reading the Bible, and Jesus began to speak to him. And so he realized he had money in his lunchbox, and so he gave God his money. In one year, he gave over half a million dollars away. But then he kept reading his Bible, and he realized, oh, there's more in my lunchbox than just my money. And so I would say in, in the last couple of years, he's gone from success to significance to surrender. And recently he's decided, he, he moved here, he went through a terrible divorce, moved here to restart his life like a lot of people do when they moved to Boulder and Denver. And, and he, he realized that he could go back and start making lots and lots of money. And he began to pursue that. And then recently he realized, no, I've got enough. I've got, I've got some asset streams. Enough is enough. I'm going to give Jesus what's, what else is in my lunchbox. And now Albert is spending his days going to grocery stores and gyms and meeting people, talking to people, and taking people to coffee and sharing his faith with them. And Albert has the beginning of a disciple-making movement going on in Denver. And he's Syrian. By the way, ladies, he's very good looking. <laughs> really good looking for his age. Uh, 
He's Syrian. And so we are, we're praying together about how he can go to Syria and work with refugees. That's his heart. That's what God's put on his heart. And start a disciple-making movement in Syria. Is that cool? Yeah. Or what? Yeah. Th- this is a man who has given Jesus his lunchbox and everything in it. Have you given Jesus your lunchbox? Or have you given him part of what's in your lunchbox, but not the whole thing? I I urge you today to give him the whole lunchbox. People who finish well, they give Jesus their lunchbox. People who don't finish well, they never do that. They, They never become givers. They miss out on what Jesus said in Acts 20, 35. It's more blessed to give than to receive. They miss out on that. And here's something I've, I've realized. People who never become givers have a hard time becoming forgivers. Some of those bitter people I know have never become givers. And so not only do they not give other people their resources, they don't give their heart, and they don't give grace. They don't become forgivers. So my Pinewood friends, what's your lunchbox and have you given it to Jesus? That's the first characteristic of people who finish well. They give God everything they've got because God has given them everything he has. Uh, Second characteristic, and they make sure that Jesus is in their boat during the storms of life. So next story in John chapter 6, John chapter 6 is a series of stories. Uh, Jesus goes to a mountain after he feeds the 5,000. He's been doing a lot of ministry, busy, busy, busy healing people, preaching, whole series, and he's tired. And so he, he goes to, to a mountain, and the disciples were fishermen, so to recover, they go fishing. You know, it's important to know what re- helps you recover. I would have gone with Jesus. I'm way better at climbing things than I am fishing. And then, uh, and then the disciples were out on the water than the Sea of Galilee. I've been there before, and uh, it's, it's surrounded by mountains, and so the weather can change really fast. And they're out there in the middle of the night to go fishing, and then all of a sudden this, this storm comes up. And it, it sort of freaks them out. And it, it says in John 6, 17 through 21, when they'd rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water like you do when you're Jesus. And, and they were frightened. Storm's going on. Now they see a ghost, perhaps. But he said to them, it's I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to let him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were, they were heading. So you see what happened? They're going fishing. It's, it says in other Gospels, it was between midnight and 3 a.m. And they've been rowing against the wind. They're exhausted. Three hours of rowing, and they're getting like nowhere. Storm is brewing all around them. This big squall. They're freaking out. Okay. Like, are we even going to live? And then Jesus, who needed to catch up with them, just sort of walks on the water. And, and then they, they invite him into the boat in the middle of the storm. And the storm calms down. And it says, immediately... They went to where they were trying to go. Apparently having Jesus in your boat is like having a twin cam engine on the back of the boat. They were were there, okay? Life can be scary sometimes, can it not? I mean, are there storms brewing around us in the world? Anybody freaked out about what's happening in the Middle East right now? Yeah. Ukraine, Russia, uh, China's like rattling their saber at Taiwan. There's economic uncertainties. But all around us, there's storms, right? We got friends in storms. How many of you, I'm just curious, how many of you would say, I'm in a a storm right now? Emotional, relational, financial, you're in a storm. Please raise your hand. Okay, okay. 
Thank you for being honest. If you're not in a storm right now, you're probably coming out of one or you're going into one. I'm here to encourage you today. Okay. Life, life is just a series of storms. It's a series of storms, all right? In 1993, I went through one of the biggest storms of my life, and I've been through quite a few. So I, I had planted uh, two churches in the Bay Area. I was 29 when I moved here, and I went to CCU. I got a second master's degree in uh, counseling because my, my marriage was a train wreck. So what do you do when your marriage is a train wreck? You go get a master's degree as a therapist and try to figure it out. That's what you do. So it would have been a lot cheaper just to go get my shrink money every week. But no, I get a whole degree trying to figure this thing out. And, and during that storm, during that season, my ex-wife now had two affairs. Caught her twice. And uh, we were trying to, people go, why do you stay in that marriage? Um, you were looking at a recovering, raging codependent. <laughs> I was so enmeshed, and I was, my identity was so uh, broken. My self-esteem so low, I kept thinking, if I can just fix me, I can fix us. Okay. And uh, one night, we went and saw a movie, a dollar theater, because I was broke also. <laughs> and uh, how many of you are old enough to know who uh, uh, Claude Van Damme is? Okay, okay. Look him up. Google that stuff, okay? Uh, anyway, so if you don't know, he's big, muscular, and every one of his movies is the same movie with different people, okay? He, there's some woman who gets in trouble, and he rescues her, and he does a bunch of really cool, like, whatever he's, jujitsu, whatever he did, beats people up and rescues the, the woman, right? So we're watching this movie, and my ex had this tendency to always compare me with other people. So we get in the car, it's midnight, and we're driving, and I just... I just asked her, are you comparing me by any chance to Claude Van Damme? <laughs> yeah, right. Completely silent. And I go, okay, there's my answer. How do you win against Claude Van Damme if you're a guy? Like, there's no way you win in that, that comparison match. So I felt myself escalating internally. And uh, I dropped her off at our apartment. We lived in Morrison, Colorado at the time. We had a 110-pound Doberman. I said, I'm taking him for a walk. And I went to this pond by where we lived. And I started walking around the pond. And I lost my mind. I, I, I grew up in a family where it was never okay to speak out against my father. Uh, you know, you, when you begin to follow God and, and, and you start praying to your heavenly father that it takes a while before you can separate your earthly father from your heavenly father. I was still in that process. Again, 29 the age of some of you. And so I'd never said an ill word to my heavenly father because my earthly father was not built like me, big guy, prize fighter, super alpha male. I knew if I said something disrespectful, I would likely need, you know, dentures. And I, I had always been that way with my heavenly father. Never, never was honest with him emotionally about how I really felt inside because I didn't want to say something disrespectful. I was worried he would just like take me out. That night, I couldn't do it anymore. And I just lost it. For about 90 minutes, I was screaming at God. You, you read some of the Psalms where the psalmist just goes crazy, you know? That was me. Like I was yelling, screaming, cursing. I was so out of my mind, I began to take rocks and throw them at God. I was throwing rocks at God. Can you imagine God? He's like, yeah, that really hurt. <laughs> 
Try a little harder. I'm a little further away. I was throwing rocks at God. My 110-pound Doberman thought I was, I was lost. It was shaking like 20 yards behind me, just shaking like a leaf. What is happening to my master? He's, he's crazy. And uh, 1.30 in the morning, I get, I get in the car, and I drive home. And for three days, I did not pray. For three days, I did not talk to God. At that point, I'd been following Jesus for 13 years. I'd never gone a day. I'd never gone a few hours without talking to God. Three days. Total silence. And I, I thought, I think I may be done. And I thought, maybe he's done with me. And I wasn't sure what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, but I thought, I think I may have done that. <laughs> okay? Not sure what that is, but if I, I probably did that. Didn't talk for three days. And then on the third day, and, and remember, God loves to take dead things and bring them back to life on the third day. Does he not? Yeah. On the third day, I go for a walk on a golf course there in Morrison, and I'm still not praying. I'm not even trying to think about God. And I'm on the, like, I think it was the sixth hole on this golf course, and God just drops this vision, this dime right in my head. And I see this, this image of Jesus, and he's like, he's like 10 feet tall, and he's got a white robe on because he always wears a white robe. And I'm, I come up to him, and I'm so angry. And I'm, 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 like, I'm just punching him, punching him, punching him, like a man. And then I start hitting him on the chest like a boy, both hands. And I'm crying. The whole time I'm doing this, and I'm starting to, I'm crying more and more and more. And then I, I, I get so tired, my hands just fall to my side. And as soon as my hands drop, Jesus just pulls me into his chest with his arms. And I just start heaving in his chest. I'm just bawling in his chest. Now, this is happening in my head but it starts impacting my physiology. I am bent over and I am just pouring tears and snot all over the sixth green. That was 30 years ago. It's still, it's still a brown spot, I'm sure. Like I nuked it forever, but I'm just like bawling and bawling. And then I started walking home and I was like, God, can you please interpret that vision for me? And uh, two things. One thing he said to me is, whatever you want to give me, I can take it. Your emotions, your feelings, your grief, your anger, it's not bigger than I am. And he, he told me, I'd rather you be hot or cold, just don't ever be lukewarm. Okay? And I learned a big lesson about my Heavenly Father. I learned I am safe with him. I'm emotionally safe with him no matter what I'm feeling. Somebody here needed to hear that today. And, and the second thing I learned is what we all need when we're in a storm more than anything else is we need Jesus in the boat. We need Jesus in the boat. And he has been so faithful to me. He got me through that really serious storm. And he's brought me through even harder storms since then. 
He has always, always, always been faithful to me in every storm. He's got me through every single one. And if you're in a storm today, he'll do the same thing for you. My friends, when you're in a storm, the thing you need more than anything else is you need Jesus in the boat. That's not the time to push him away. That's the time to draw as close to him as you possibly can. People who finish well, they know this. You know what people who don't finish well do with Jesus when they're in a storm? They actually kick him out of the boat. This is insanity. They kick him out of the boat, and then they blame him for the storm. Please do not do that. Most of you have so many years, so many decades ahead of you. You're going to go through storms. When you're going through one, make sure you invite Jesus in the boat with you. Don't kick him out. Don't let the devil convince you that he's the one causing the storm. We live in a broken, fallen world. When the devil reigns, where sin is everywhere, that's where we have storms. Okay. So two characteristics of people who finish well. One, they realize their lunchbox is not theirs. It belongs to Jesus. Everything they have belongs to God. And they give it, they give it back to him. They surrender it, and they let him multiply what's in it to bless people, and to make disciples. Number two is, when they're going through a storm, they keep Jesus in the boat. Okay? One last characteristic. They, they never stop celebrating their salvation. In John 6, 53, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Welcome, my friends, to Jesus' version of the carnivore diet. <laughs> All you have to do is eat his flesh and drink his blood, and you'll be fine. This is the verse that tells us what Jesus said right before all those disciples just walked away. Just a little controversial. All you have to do is eat his flesh and drink his blood. So I, man, I've read this for years, and I was like, that's pretty heavy. And uh, I, I read it a lot the last few weeks, and I read every scholar I could think of that I respect. Like, what's this mean, you know? And um, I, I think the plainest, simplest way to interpret this is to realize in context, Jesus is using a very dramatic metaphor to describe what he would do for us on the cross how on the cross his body would be broken and his blood shed so that we could be saved. That, my friends, is how serious our sin is. It creates death. And so Jesus died in our place to cancel the penalty of sin. So what he's saying here is if you want salvation, then you have to internalize it. You have to Take that message inside of you and make it yours. You have to metabolize it. And Jesus was always trying to help us understand just how valuable our salvation is and how it's, it's worth celebrating more than anything else. He, he used parables like, it's, it's like a, a man who is a pearl merchant and he, he finds this perfect pearl. His whole life he's been looking for the perfect pearl. And he sells everything he has to go get that pearl. It's like a man who sees treasure in a field, so he, he sells everything to go buy the field to get the treasure. It's like a woman who loses a 401k, a coin that represents her 401k. She can't find it, tears the house apart, finds it, invites all her friends over. 
to a party to celebrate the fact she's found everything she has. It's like a guy who loses a sheep. He's a shepherd. He loses the sheep, and then he finds this lost sheep, and all of his friends get together, and they party, and they celebrate the fact the lost sheep has been found. It's like a father who has a son who one day says, F you, Dad. I want my inheritance early, but you're not dead yet. Can I just have it now? Goes off, squanders the whole thing. But his dad stays on the porch every single day praying that his son will finally come home. And then one day he sees him off in the distance and he runs towards his son. He embraces him, throws a huge party because his lost son was found. My friends, there is nothing more important than our salvation. Nothing more important. And people who finish well, they never stop celebrating what they have in Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? Forgiveness? We deserve death and we get eternal life? Forgiven for everything we've done? Unbelievable. We get the Holy Spirit? We get each other? The kingdom of God now as well as the future? How can we never, how can we ever stop celebrating that? People who don't finish well or don't finish at all, slowly but surely, they stop being grateful for their salvation. And then they lose the joy of their salvation. And then sometimes they lose it because perhaps they never had it. Yeah. In a few moments, we're going to stand, we're going to worship, we're going to celebrate our salvation. Let's celebrate with all our heart. Uh, if this message hasn't been intense enough, I want to end by talking about my dad's funeral. Okay. <laughs> Why not? Um, so, as I mentioned, I grew up in an irreligious home. And uh, I came to faith, and my dad was okay with that. He's like, ah, that's okay. My son's got religion. Maybe he won't do as many stupid things like he's been doing. And then uh, Jesus really got a hold of me. And, and for me, lordship meant going into professional ministry. For most of you, it's not going to mean that. We're all full-time ministers. But for me, it meant going into professional ministry. And when you do that, you kind of put a salary cap on yourself. <laughs> and my dad thought I was nuts. He did not raise me to be a pastor. He raised me to be a successful business guy. And so we uh, stopped talking for the most part for like 10 years. <clears throat> and then the Holy Spirit got a hold of me and I reconciled with him and asked him to forgive me for just not engaging for so long. And then I started praying really hard for his salvation. Prayed over 20 years for my dad's salvation. Invited him to a retreat with a bunch of uh, guys who had been successful in the business world who were also following Jesus. And my dad was always really, really blunt with me. And so he, uh, he uh, went... After he heard all these stories about Jesus changing these men's lives, he, uh, he said, all right, shoot straight with me. What's a Christian and how do you become one? I go, oh my gosh, this is like the moment I've been waiting for my whole life. And so that night I shared Jesus with him and that night he gave his life to Jesus. And I watched my dad be transformed before my very eyes. I, I watched a hardened, proud alpha male become a loving, gentle man. I watched him give his lunchbox to Jesus. I mean, growing up, he didn't give to anybody. Like, the Girl Scouts would come to the door, knock on the door, and he's like, I'm not giving you anything. Go get a job. 
Go work at a gas station. I'm not buying her cookies. I can buy cookies at the grocery store. Go away. Go away. <laughs> I mean, that was my dad, okay? He's just rough around the edges all the time. And every time I got in trouble, he'd go, go get a fight. Work it out. Uh, I watched him give and give and give and give. Uh, our church has my dad in part to thank restoration because he gave a lot. There are build- There's a building downtown Denver that is in the kingdom because of my dad. I watched him. He's a, he was a great mechanic. He fixed cars, fixed RVs. He was always helping people, always helping people. His talents, his time, his treasure, everything. I, I couldn't believe it. And then uh, I watched my dad go through, go through some storms, some financial storms, some relational storms, some health storms. And he kept Jesus in the boat with him. And then I watched him celebrate his salvation. I, I was fishing with him in Cabo one time, a deep sea fishing trip. And if you've ever been on one of those, you get up super early. And we were in this little little hotel. And uh, I woke up at 4 a.m. I was so excited to go fishing. So I'm laying down I'm, you know, sideways. It's 4 o'clock in the morning. I open my eyes. And I kid you not, my dad, is, his knees are as bad as mine are. He's on the ground. And he's in front of a chair. And he's got his hands in front of his head. His head's on his hands. And I can see his lips moving. And he's worshiping. And I'm like, that's my dad. Unbelievable. My dad is worshiping. I watched his life be transformed before my eyes. And then he, be, he got really sick and uh, in his late 80s. And uh, I would go down. I'd see him pretty often. He lived in Houston. And... I got a phone call one day, and my, my sisters said, uh, he's not going to make it. You better get down here. And so I had a 6 a.m. flight the next morning. 11 p.m. the night before, my sisters call me, and they said, hey, he's not going to make it. He's sort of coherent. You better say goodbye. And so I got on the phone. And I said, hey, Dad, can you make it until tomorrow? I'll be there tomorrow. Can you make it? I want to say goodbye. And I could barely make out him saying no. And then I said, Dad, I love you. I said, uh, I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for you. How can I ever thank you enough for being who you are? I said, Dad, you're getting ready to go to a great place. You know, and I'm going to see you on the other side. And my dad was always, he was in the aeronautical industry, so he was always like talking about blue skies, you know, like he, he uh, if, you, if, you, if you know about being a pilot and stuff, they love blue skies. And so the last thing I said to my dad is, uh, hey dad, blue skies ahead. Blue skies ahead, dad. And he mumbled something on the end of the line, and that's the last I ever heard from him. Two weeks later, I do his funeral. And uh, usually you cry at funerals. Like, I'm crying a little bit right now. Some of you are too. I didn't cry. I mean, it really was a celebration of life. I told these stories about, you know, how much I'd watched his life be transformed. And I was like a stand-up comic. I'm not kidding you guys. Like, I, I was having so much fun talking about how my dad changed. He had old girlfriends from high school. I was like, are you kidding me? You dated my dad? 
are you crazy? I mean, I'm, yeah, I was just back and forth. I mean, people were like, why is he so happy? Did he just inherit a lot of money? Like, what happened? Right? I, was, I had so much fun doing his funeral because I knew where he was and because he finished well. He finished well. And I celebrated that. You know what I didn't talk about? I didn't talk about his resume or his bucket list. And he had a great resume. And he had an amazing bucket list. At your funeral, they will not talk about your resume or your bucket list. Nobody cares. They care now. They won't care then. You know what they'll talk about? Who you became. They'll talk about how you treated them. And if they have faith, they will talk about what you did with Jesus and where you are right now. My friends, please, please, please work on your eulogy more than your resume. And as my brothers and sisters in Christ, if Parker or Jess have to do their, your funeral, make it easy for them. Make it easy for them. Let's pray. Why don't you just take a moment as the band plays and uh, reflect on what the Spirit of Jesus is saying to you. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you're one of his disciples, will you finish well? Are, are the characteristics of people who finish well, are they your characteristics? Have, have you... Have you given Jesus your lunchbox? Have you discovered the joy of being a giver? Are you letting Jesus take what's in your, multi, your, your lunchbox and multiply blessings in this world and use it to multiply disciples? Is he in the boat with you? Are you close to him right now? Whether you're in a storm or not, is he in the boat with you? Because when you do go through a storm, you're going to need him. And then finally, are you celebrating your salvation today? Do you still have the joy of your salvation? Or have you lost it? If you've lost it, what do you need to do to get it back? Well, those of you who are disciples are thinking about and praying about finishing well, I want to speak to anyone in this room who may not finish well because you haven't begun yet. You've not even begun with Jesus. Maybe you're a fan. Maybe you appreciate him, but you have not surrendered your life to him. You're not a follower of Jesus. You have not received your salvation. You've not received and internalized the fact that he has broken his body and shed his blood for you to forgive you for your sins. In this moment, I want to encourage you to receive what he has done for you. Until you do that, you are separate from him. If you wonder why you get up some mornings and you're anxious and you're depressed and you're you're struggling, it could be because you have yet to receive your salvation. You're not one with God yet because you're not one with Jesus yet. 
And so why not make this your moment? The moment you begin with him. It is as simple as saying, Jesus, I receive you right now as my Savior and my Lord. And just as you gave your life for me, I give you mine in return. If that expresses your heart in your heart or out loud, say yes right now. Say yes. If you said yes, your next step is to get baptized before God and before others to demonstrate you have died with Jesus Christ, you are united with him in his death and you're united with him in his resurrection. I encourage you to reach out to someone here at Pinewood and find out how you can get baptized as soon as possible. Um, Jesus, we thank you, thank you, thank you for how you have done everything in your power to save us, to unite yourself to us, to help us become one with you again, no longer separate. And for those of us who today or in the past have given our lives to you and received you as our Savior and your Lord, help us, help us, help us to finish well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more, or if you'd like to join us on a Sunday, head on over to pinewoodboulder.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. And if you'd like to be notified every time we post new content, then subscribe. And remember, just keep coming back.